millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome once again to Mystery Beliefs. I am Tim, and today's topic is uh, One Tough Cop. That's Johnny Broderick of the NYPD. We're going to talk about some of his, uh, we're going to talk about his life and some of his escapades. But before we do, let me introduce the man who, in his mind, is the uh, reason for the success of this podcast, the most dangerous man in podcasting today, the very honorable. Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawkwaters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? Well, Timmy, I'm, I'm fine. I appreciate that introduction. Um, <clears throat> and you know what I appreciate more, though, Timmy? What's that, Colonel? The introduction you didn't have to do. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Well, everything feels right again. You mean everything. because our uh, colleague Be- is not here? Because the devil's bride has been called back down to hell, apparently. <laughs> Apparently, we that don't she have had a to deal with her today. Uh, she had a conference with Satan today. She did. Um, so Brandy's unavailable. So I know you know they got that. They got all the whole cackling hen crew that's going to be upset. But mm-hmm. uh, please bear with us. Brandy will be back. Um, we just had to get this podcast out uh, without her today because she wasn't available. But uh, I'm sure after she is done with whatever ritual that she's uh, sacrificing in, a baby goat. Yeah, something. Or a baby child, something. <laughs> baby child, yeah. Um, once that's done, I'm sure she'll be back. So, uh, Br- uh, Team Brandy, just sit tight. We, and, have, have we haven't you, ditched her. We haven't fired her. She will be back. We haven't fired her yet. But uh, Timmy, and have you noticed we have a we have a diverse ba- listener base? <clears throat> yeah, we do. And this proves my point that when you get a group to get people together, there's always going to be a few unhinged, crazy people. So you're, you're you're saying that her followers are kind of uh, they're misguided. misguided. They're fine people, but you know, right? Uh, um, they need direction. Nicole, mm-hmm. um, Kim Taylor, that yeah. group. I yeah. mean, the, the Brittany, fine, Nicole, they, Brittany Nicole, Kim Taylor, um, Kim Taylor. They Stephanie, seem like fine people. Stephanie, yeah, of, yeah. Very, right. They're all very nice uh, ladies, but yeah. somehow they've got drawn into the dark side. I mean, right? They have. Yeah, they have. It's like rooting for Darth Vader. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, even uh, you know, all like in uh, wrestling, you got the the, the bad guys have yeah. the following. Yeah, so. well, that's true. Yeah, so yeah, and the force is strong in those crazy women too. Yeah, <laughs> it is. They, they're they're very devoted to her. Yeah. So if you're uh, on Team Brandy, don't worry, she'll be back. Uh, Maybe the next, next time she will be. But uh, Colonel, today we're going to talk about. Um, uh, NYPD uh, detective Johnny Broadwick, and um, he was a 
detective back in the 1930s and 1940s. He was a pretty rough character. We're going to talk about him. Uh, but before we do, do you have any shout-outs? Well, I have the shout-out to, uh, of course, um, Lady Beverly. Of course. Because she is uh, my one devoted follower. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotty J., of course. Um, sure. Scotty, now I got to go with Scotty J. is a little bit unhinged himself. But <laughs> um, but he, he's a good man. He is a good man. Him. He's working really hard on his podcast. Smart guy. Yeah. Very smart guy. And, uh, and of course, as always, the lovely Dottie Scott. My mom. Yeah. She's on the mend. Yeah, she is on the mend. And of course, Canute over there in Canute Norway. Canute Storm. Yeah, over in Norway. Yeah. So um, let's hop in and jump into this podcast about Johnny Broderick. Uh, Johnny Broderick was a New York Police Department detective who became known in the 1920s and 1930s one of the city's toughest police officers, patrolling the Broadway Theater District and uh, policing. Um, the whole midtown Manhattan, and um, he had some run-ins, personal run-ins with gangsters, and uh, we're going to talk about his career. That spanned between 1923 and 1947, so pretty long career as a cop. Uh, he built a reputation for his... That would have been right at the height of the mafia, too. Yeah, too. yeah, this was in the you know, Roaring Twenties, yeah. um, great, through the Great Depression. He built quite a reputation for his physical courage and for assaulting gangsters, uh, <laughs> such as uh, Le- Jack Legs Diamond. You've heard of him. Oh, yeah. And uh, Two Gun Crawley. You've probably heard yeah, of him. Yeah, Two Gun Crawley. Yeah. a famous one. And Facing Down Gunman in a Prison Break at the Tombs Prison. So we're going to get into that. Um, he won eight medals for va- valor, valor for, during his career. Damn. <laughs> I know. He was pretty badass. Uh, but he was best known for using excessive force. <laughs> well, as as all good policemen are. are <laughs> yeah. Johnny Broderick was born on January 16th, 1896. Uh, and he was born on January 16th. You know what that means, Colonel. His mama was really pregnant with him during the holidays. Yeah, he was almost a uh, New, New Year's baby. Uh, born on January 16, 1896, in the Gas House District of Manhattan in New York City. He was the son of Margaret Kendall and Michael Broderick. Uh, Broderick had a hard, unforgiving early life. As a boy, he was always fighting. When he was eight years old, uh, he was being picked on by some older children in the Bowery. Uh, you know, the Bowery was a pretty rough oh, yeah, neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, the oldest uh, boy in the crowd was a hoodlum named. Tommy Gianelli, he was, uh, Tommy Gianelli was uh, 16 years old, and uh, he was picking on young Johnny Broderick and uh, calling him, teasing him, calling him half-pint. Uh, Broderick was a little small for his age. Broderick uh, retaliated uh, by jumping off of a stoop and smashing Gianelli's head between two garbage can lids, uh, which resulted in Gianelli getting 17 stitches. And um, Gianelli responded by running down the street away from the eight-year-old Broadwick. Uh, when Gianelli's friends started laughing at their fleeing friend, the eight-year-old jumped back up on the stoop and screamed, which one of you greasers are next? <laughs> See, that's what, and if you ever, and the colonel, you know, grew up in a, uh, grew up in a housing project. Right. And it was a little tough. It was not like the Bowery, but it was not easy. And some advice the colonel brother gave him one time. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, you're going to get picked on because, you you know, you got blonde hair in a housing project, and that's not going to be great for you. Mm-hmm. So what you do, all you got to do is bite one person's ear off. 
Yeah. Bite one person's ear off, and nobody will pick on you. They leave you alone once they think And he must have got the same advice. You uh, clang two guys with a garbage can lids and <laughs> like to play in the cymbals and get the guy's head between them. Yeah. Nobody wants to mess with little yeah, Johnny. after anymore. that, they pretty much left him alone. Um, his father died when he was just 12 years old, uh, so he quit school to support his family. He took a job driving a brick truck at 12 years old. A brick truck? <laughs> 12 years old, and then a coal truck to support his mother, so he was driving at 12. Uh, when uh, World War I rolled around, he joined the Navy, and uh, he took up boxing in the Navy, and um, they finally made him stop because he was sending too many, too many of his... <laughs> His the sailors to the uh, infirmary. Yeah, he was uh, apparently he was really busting people up, and then, so they finally made him quit boxing because they were dealing with so many injuries that he's caused. Um, uh, they say they said that he caused more injuries than than the Kaisers. <laughs> At the close of World War One. Um, Broderick used his connections he made when he was driving a truck. Uh, with the local Teamsters Union to secure a position as a bodyguard for one of the labor leaders, Samuel Gumpers. Um, At that point, uh, Broderick was 5'10", weighed 170, and he served as this uh, Gumpers, this labor leader's bodyguard, uh, for a while. But he got bored with that. Uh, In in 1922, um, he applied to become a New York City fireman, so he used his connections kind of with the Tammany Hall Democrats there, mm-hmm. was run, you know, Boss Tweed that was running the uh, city, to get a job um, with the fire department, uh, though he became bored with that pretty quickly as well. Um, he said, yeah, all you did was sit around and wait for some, some fire. <laughs> <It was> a, <laughs> fire, fire wasn't even exciting to no, this guy. No, fire wasn't exciting. So, Ironically, he quit the fire department and enlisted as a police officer in 1923. And the first thing he did as a police officer was to rescue two children from a burning building hours into his first shift. So that was his first act as a police officer. Came in handy, his training. It did. Um, The fire was probably afraid of him. (laughs) Probably so. Uh, But it looks like they saw Broderick promoted from beat cop to detective third grade in just three months after joining the NYPD. So that was... Pretty impressive. He climbed a ladder pretty quickly, uh, and then in three more, in three months later, he got promoted again. And after a year, he was promoted to detective first grade. Damn, this guy's yeah, he's on a career path there. Too. Yeah, and just yeah, to put it in perspective, in just three years, uh, Broderick earned three promotions that often took regular officers their entire career to achieve. Damn. Now. His rise did not go unnoticed uh, with the New York Herald Tribune wondering if it was due to his uh, performance and luck or his influence. So uh, there's some questions early on whether or not he's connected to somebody. Um, While there were rumors of backroom deals and connections for his um, time as a union man, um, his rise to the ranks of the NYPD um, was filled filled more with stories of 
him doling out justice with his fist than anything else. And that's really how justice should be served, Timmy. Well, this was a time, as you mentioned, this was the roaring, you know, began in the 20s, roaring 20, ended up in, going into the Depression. And a lot of these mobsters were getting let go. You know, it was mm-hmm. just like they yeah. arrest them and then they, they, you know, they had the... Uh, they had the judges pol- in their pocket. They had the yeah. judges, the politicians in their pocket. And, and there would really be no retribution. They would just get booked and then let out later that day. So, so he was... He was he Instead of Colonel Justice, he was doling out Johnny Justice. Johnny Justice, exactly. Um, and the newspapers really ate up his uh, exploits, uh, and they, you know, they loved reporting on what he was doing and his actions with criminals and things. For example, um, he became uh, infamous for his habit of slapping known criminals upside the head with a rolled-up <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> Kind of like they peed on the carpet. It doesn't sound as bad, <laughs> but it should be noted that the newspapers in question usually had an iron bar hidden <laughs> inside of them, allowing him to beat his suspects unconscious in broad daylight. <laughs> but he later claimed in court that he only given them a playful whack with the newspaper. With the newspaper. Yeah. What kind of candy ass falls down after I hit him with a newspaper? Well, um... So he, he, he quickly gained a reputation for his violence. Um, his fists were described as huge, huge lethal pistons that could beat a man senseless in, in, in less than half of a heartbeat. Um, to be Broderick became slang for being knocked out in a single punch. <laughs> he got Broderick. He got Broderick. He got Johnny Justice. His knuckles, his knuckles uh, were broken 15 times during his career. The x-rays of his hands were used at medical school as exhibits. <laughs> and I don't know. You ever had a broken knuckle, Tim? No. Oh, ain't nothing uh, like it, man. Yeah. Well, apparently no. he, he went through quite a few knuckles. Yeah, I ain't never he had 15. He broke 15 knuckles. You don't even have 15. I don't know. He must have I've broken. had one broken, Tim. He must have broke some of them at least twice. And you know he wasn't getting cast like everybody no, else. No, and it was, you know, all in a day's work. Um, he would demand that hoodlums tip their hat to him when he to, when he walked by. Well, I would expect they would. Uh, and then they get hit with the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> so he had to clean the shot with the newspaper. Yeah. He didn't want to hit him with the hat. Yeah, so, um, and they were pretty respectful to him. And he expected, uh, he felt it was important that the gangsters respect him. He once attended a funeral of a Houston, a Houston Dusters gang. I don't know what gang that is, but it was a gang in New York. Uh, oh, so the Hudson, Hudson Dusters. Hudson Dusters. You familiar yeah. with them? I've heard of them, yeah. Okay, well, one of their gang members died. He attended, uh, you know, all the important gangsters in the city was there in that church for this funeral. Mm-hmm. And um, there, he attended this funeral, and the church was dead silent. When Broderick entered the service, removed his hat, walked up to the corpse, leaned over, and spit into the dead man's <laughs> face. <laughs> Broderick then placed his hat back on his head and walked out of the funeral without saying a word. He probably didn't get invited to the wake. Probably not. At the wake, he came in and in, in, in pissed on the casserole. <laughs> Another gangster, Johnny Suguchi, complained that Broderick, uh, Broderick apparently arrested him for some uh, dastardly deed and put his handcuffs on. And Suguchi complained that the handcuffs were on too tight. He had his kind of hands uh, cuffed behind his back. Suguchi complained that the handcuffs were too tight. So Broadway broke his arm and displaced his elbow. So with it, well, well, there you go. See, he was a problem. He, was a, he, was, he looked outside the box. I mean, he thought outside the box. He did. When Suguchi mm-hmm. withered, withering in pain, Suguchi <laughs> complained again. Broadway punched him in the face. <laughs> this boy didn't learn for the first time. 
<laughs> yeah, apparently, you know, you, you probably just want to, you know, bite your lip anyway yeah. and, and not say anything. Anyway, he was even uh, brought up as was unafraid of even the most fearsome gangsters uh, and was to remon- er, known to respond to threats on his life by driving over to the gangsters who made the threats house <laughs> and attacking them. The most famous occasion occurred uh, with the high-profile mobster Legs Diamond. You've heard of Legs oh, Diamond? Oh, yeah. He was a scary man, too. Well, Legs was out drinking one night with his uh, cohorts, and um, apparently he was angry at Broadway for one thing or another. And, and, uh, Probably spitting in a corpse's face. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but he said that he was going to take uh, Broderick out for a ride. Which of course is uh, uh, bl- uh, lingo, uh, g- gangster lingo for going to whack him, right? Mm-hmm. Diamond and his crew begin to hunt for Broadway to make good on the promise, uh, and other other lowlifes heard about it and join in on the search, and they wanted they wanted to be a part of this. Unfortunately for Diamond, Broadway also heard about it. And um, he began hunting down Diamond. He was hunting down Diamond while Diamond was hunting down him. Yeah. Uh, he found Diamond. The newspapers report that uh, Broderick found Diamond uh, on the corner of 46 and Broadway. Broderick approached Diamond and his cohorts, uh, stating that, um, I hear that you're looking to stay, take me for a ride. Uh, at that point, Diamond's bodyguards fled the area. <laughs> Leaving, leaving Diamond alone face Broderick. <laughs> Not very good bodyguards. No, with wing, his wingman out of the picture and the whole crowd of the underworld type, underworld types looking on. So it's, you know they were yeah. crowding around. Diamond tried to play off the whole thing by saying, "Ah, oh, come on, Johnny, can't you take a joke?" It was at this point that Broderick punched him in the face. <laughs> And then, unserious moments, they dumped his him headfirst into a nearby garbage can. <laughs> See, Johnny didn't have a sense of humor at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he had an odd sense of humor. And you say, can you take a joke? The punchline was the actual punchline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, with so many criminals witnessing this, uh, you know, the mob boss was humiliated. And uh, he really lost Diamond's, uh, Legs Diamond lost uh, respect among his... Uh, lost a lot of standing when that yeah, happened Yeah, lost to him. a lot of standing. And Mayor of New York, Jimmy Walker, credited this, this incident as the ending, really ending Diamond's criminal career. Um, he said that Broderick as good as killed Diamond with that garbage. <laughs> I finished him as a leader. Afterwards, Diamond was a victim of several assassination attempts. Um, uh, ended up in the hospital with bullet wounds, and and then uh, once he got out of the hospital, he was uh, finally he went to, was sent to prison. And the first day he got out, he was uh, assassinated. So that kind of was the downfall of his career. Yeah. How'd you um, like that? I'm gonna, I'm, we're gonna have to look that up. How long he did in prison? You do five years. You don't keep you keep your mouth shut. You don't ride anybody out, and they shoot you as soon as you get out. Yeah, that's some ungrateful uh, bastard in the mafia uh, back then. So, anyway, Broderick's a, is a pretty badass guy. Um, badass? He was. He made <laughs> Chuck Norris run home to his mama. <laughs> um, so these brazen tactics became, you know, his calling card. Uh, for instance, another example during one of his more widely reported exploits, 1931, uh, Broderick boldly faced down famed gangster Two Gun and Crawley. 
who had been uh, trapped by several policemen in an apartment. They had to shoot out. A firefight soon erupted uh, between the police and Crawley. When Broderick arrived with a crowd of newspaper reporters surrounding the building, like they think of like 15,000 people looking on. So, I mean, this whole block mm-hmm. in midtown Manhattan. Broderick simply strolled across the street with no cover and knocked on the door. Broderick asked to gun why he didn't give up. <laughs> <laughs> Crowley said uh, that uh, Broderick should know better, that he wasn't going to come out without shooting. And Broderick called him, said he was nutty, and that he was great. <laughs> Broderick said he was going to run some errands and he would be back in two hours. I'm going to pick up my dry cleaning, boy. I'm going to eat lunch. I'm going to be back here in two hours and you better straighten your ass up. You're right. Exactly. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, he said if Crawley wasn't out by the time he came back, that he would come in and take him. <laughs> so Broderick leaves the scene to pick up his laundry. He goes to pick up his laundry. Uh, there was a two-hour firefight ensues with an estimated 700 rounds of <laughs> Holy shit. bullets. <laughs> it's like Vietnam over there. <laughs> when, when Broderick returns two hours later, the firefight's still going on. <laughs> he again, uh, carrying his laundry draped over his shoulder, <laughs> Broderick walks up back to the residence where Crawley was holed up. Uh, the door was locked, so uh, Broderick kicked it in. Inside the room, he found Crawley injured on the ground. <laughs> he had been shot four times. <laughs> Crawley pointed the gun at Broderick, uh, but, rather than, but rather than try to get out of the way of the fire, Broderick simply knocked the gun out of Crawley's hands. <laughs> he then got close enough. When he got close enough, he punched Crawley in the face. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> Did the guy even, he was like Andy, did he even carry a gun? <laughs> I, I don't know. He just carried a newspaper yeah, waiting. He just carried his fist. Another of his uh, exploits uh, occurred uh, a few years previous, November 1926, uh, when he, he was in a, there was a standoff at the Tombs at prison in Manhattan. Uh, in an attempted uh, prison break, three prisoners uh, killed a guard and a warden, and it ended up trapped in a coal, behind a coal pile. <laughs> When Broderick arrived, rather than to duck under the, for cover like the rest of the police were doing, he grabbed a metal garbage can lid, he's real big on his garbage mm-hmm. can lid, as a shield, and sprinted toward the criminals. Uh, from there, uh, the report, news reports came out directly that, now, this is, I, this is bullshit here, but the news reports came out that the criminals committed suicide <laughs> rather, 
rather than the face. They could have. But they believe that they had been shot when yeah. <laughs> killed by the other oh, police. Oh, shit. Not but, Johnny. But they, the newspapers had it that the criminals committed suicide <laughs> rather than Roderick. But he did, uh, he did charge him. <laughs> Once while attending a boxing match, uh, known gangster Vanny Higgins uh, was not quick enough to step out of Broderick way, Broderick's way when he was uh, walking to his seat. Broderick hit him so hard that the punch knocked Higgins through a closed phone booth. <laughs> Boxing great Jack Dempsey saw the, uh, saw the fight, and he said it was the hardest punch ever thrown to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Once, when a man was robbing a crowded restaurant at Columbus Circle with two guns and a knife, Broderick walked in and asked the man what was going on. The man, who knew of Broderick's reputation, says, I don't want any trouble, Johnny. Uh, and then the would-be robber handed over his <laughs> gun and knife. And the loot he took. <laughs> Broderick took the weapons from the assailant, and then he proceeded to punch, punch him in the face. face <laughs> knocking him over the diner counter. <laughs> yeah. Yet another uh, of Officer Broderick's exploits uh, reported in the news uh, was an instant where he was an instance when he resulted in a car containing five armed gangsters flipping over at a high speed chase. Now, how did that happen? Well, he was chasing them in a police car, and he pulled out the old stunt that you see on Hollywood movies. He shot out the tires. Oh, there you go. He finally used a gun on somebody. Well, on the tires, <clears throat> in there, the car flipped. And uh, He walked up to the car and punched him in the face. <laughs> You're getting ahead of me. The car flipped. All the men required medical attention. He punched the car in the face. <laughs> the driver was trapped behind the wheel of the car, and he was begging, uh, He was covered in blood, and he was begging Broderick to get him out before the car exploded. Broderick leaned over to the driver and punched Punch him, him in the face. face. Broderick's uh, exploits did not go unnoticed by celebrities who began to requesting his services as body, as a bodyguard when they visited New York. Um, he was personally asked to serve as bodyguard to uh, President Franklin Roosevelt uh, to lead his uh, protection detail when Roosevelt attended the 1936 World Series. Similar request was made by the Queen of Romania and the King of Belgium when they were in town. When asked once to serve as bodyguard for visiting First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, Broderick replied, I ain't got time for that, Dane. Besides, if you ask me, she's been punched in the face one too many times. <laughs> now, see, if the Archduke Ferdinand would have had him as a bodyguard. Oh, uh, man, there'd been no world <laughs> Nope. Despite his uh, fearsome <laughs> reputation Poor and somewhat Roosevelt. questionable crime-fighting tactics, um... He became famous. Uh, Broderick became famous nationwide. Um, they make movies about him. He was known to be, despite his uh, bad temperament as a law officer, he was known to be in person pretty gentle and humble and down to earth. Um, Until he punched you in the face. <laughs> he almost never talked to the press about his acts, uh, except through like official police reports. Um, he refrained from smoking and drinking. Uh, he spent most of his free time at home with his wife and his daughter and exercising in the gym. He took his role, he took his job as a role model, at least early in his career, seriously. He wouldn't, as like I say, he wasn't a drinker or a smoker. And one of his friends owned a pub in town by the name of Toots Shore. And Toots, um, one night, um, uh, Edward G. Robinson was in his pub 
And Edward G. Robinson had played Broderick uh, in the movie, the 1936 movie called Bullets and Ballots. So, too sure, when Edward G. Robinson was in his pub, you know, he was telling Edward G. Robinson, hey, you, were, you played my friend in, mm-hmm. this, in this movie, and I'd like for you to meet him. And Edward G. Robinson said, yeah, sure, I'd love to meet him. So, Shore calls uh, Broadwick uh, and says, hey, you know, Edgar G. Robinson's in my place. He would love to meet you. And um, Broderick said to tell him that he doesn't want to meet me. If I, if I come down there, I'm going to flatten him. <laughs> I'm going to punch him in the face. Confused, uh, Toots asked him, what's eating you, Johnny? <laughs> Robinson's a fine guy. Uh, but uh, Broderick was mad because when he played him in the movie, mm-hmm. he was drank and he smoked. Oh, oh, that's, oh not, see. Yeah, he, he was, did not like that. He was a clean lover. Well, he was to a degree. We'll get into some more stuff. But, yeah, he, he, he liked that clean image. He didn't want his children to seem... His character smoking. I like the way they talk back. Hey, what's eating you, Johnny? Yeah. <laughs> what's eating you? What's eating you, Johnny? Yeah. yeah. I like those old, old phrases. <laughs> um, so anyway, but with women and children, he was a he was a complete teddy bear. He never uh, hesitated to walk uh, young women home at night, even if he felt unsafe, and offered his service as a bodyguard free of charge. And he wasn't hitting on him. He was faithful to his wife. Um, he was very, but he. But if women would tell him that, you know, they had been victims of domestic assault, he would visit their former partners and punch them in the face. face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, in one instance, the New York papers reported that Broderick beat up several young men who had been harassing women on the street. Then, for good measure, he tossed each of them in a window, through windows, so that he could arrest them for malicious destruction of property. <laughs> And they were charged with destruction of property, and each of them got 30 days in jail. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they got Johnny Justice. Yeah, they got Johnny Justice, yes. Um, if you're guessing by now that uh, John Broderick's career was marred by controversy, <laughs> well, you're right. Um, even though he was abusive, you know, he was very abusive in his treatment to criminals. Uh, he felt that they had it coming, and it wasn't really that uncommon for police to be very... Well, don't tough. they really have it coming? Well, they can. A lot of times, back in, especially back in those days, the system was so corrupt that they would be out in the street by the time they get done booking them. So he made sure that people kind of paid a price for committing crimes. Um, but even today, they got it coming. Well, we need more Johnny Dangerously. Well, Johnny Broderick was a bad seed... But anyway, he wasn't that concerned about civil rights uh, at the time. Um, with the f- criminals or gangsters would flaunt their crimes, he would, you know, he would make them pay for it. He'd make them, he punch them in the face. Um, he doled out justice, and uh, he would rather have uh, the criminals. It was reported would rather, He'd be, rather be arrested, locked up, yeah, yeah. Than, than to meet up with Johnny. Um, Nevertheless, he took an excessive force to a whole new level. In 1937, the New York Supreme Court even had to step in, freeing the <laughs> prisoner that had long been sentenced, uh, that his sentence had long been complete, or his sentence had not been complete. They released him because Broadwick had beat him so badly that the man was crippled for life. <laughs> on, top, on top of the 
you know, excessive force they used to beat this man, um, he refused to uh, refused to allow him to have medical attention. So, <laughs> well, maybe he was a wife beater, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know, but he would. Now, Broadwick started toward the end of his career, started looking at a political career because he was very popular. You can imagine, and. He started, uh, you know, thinking maybe he'll run for mayor, or maybe he'll run for, you know, alderman or something. But um, the political uh, powers to be at the time did not like that idea because they didn't think they could control him. So um, they charged him uh, with the. They forced him to retire because apparently he was seen in the company of known gangsters. Now, Broderick said that was only because... He had to get close to punch him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) He said it's only because he was, uh, you know, he was trying to do his job, right? uh, Well, I mean, you can't punch a gangster in the face if you're five miles away. Right. He said he was trying to do his job and get information, but uh, apparently it, you know, it stained his reputation. So he retired... Um, and they did not, uh, he did not uh, run for a public office, uh, but he retired in 1947 from the force uh, because of this scandal. Um, he, after retirement, uh, he made one unsuccessful attempt at political <laughs> office as a councilman in 1949. Um, but again, the scandal came back up, uh, and uh, really his political aspirations went into the toilet. After he retired, he sold the rights to his life to RKO Pictures, mm-hmm. the movie studio. He should have sold it to TKO the pictures. <laughs> yeah, for $75,000, which would be about $753,000. Oh, he came out all right. In though. today's money, yeah. A script was made, and it was tenderly called. The movie was tenderly called Broadway's One Man Riot Squad. Uh, the actors were hired, uh, but they never got around to making the film based on his life uh, to, due to budget concerns. Probably because they gave him seventy-five thousand dollars <laughs> to sign. Just for to the sign, yeah. Um, Broderick uh, took the money though, and he retired to a farm where he raised horses and dogs. He died in nineteen sixty-six at the age of seventy years old with uh, newspapers across the nation hailing him as the toughest cop in the world. And you know, when he was 70 years old, when he was young, get off my yard, you better get your ass <laughs> oh, yeah, off his like, yard. You know he punched you right in the face. <laughs> you know he was a cranky old man. <laughs> well, you know, he. this is interesting, because I read an article not long ago, and, it, and he were, it, there's people out there, Timmy, mm-hmm. that, are, that are just not right. And uh, the Colonel Brother, I've mm-hmm. told you stories about him. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, they think that the uh, like the seals, army rangers, things right. like that. They think they what they're finding is they have a defect in the natural flight or fight thing. Yeah, they go right um, to the fight. They don't. <laughs> they don't have the flight of natural flight or fight response uh, that you and I have. Uh-huh. You know, so when people are shooting at you, you know, your my first flight, my flight response is pretty strong. My uh, my just try to keep out of trouble and keep my head low. And, and I had a—it reminded me a little bit, too, of my uncle. Mm-hmm. He was one of those old-time policemen. Unfortunately— yeah, didn't take, They didn't take shit, man. Well, he was the—unfortunately, he was the, uh, the commander of the district I lived in mm-hmm. when I was about 17, 18, 19 uh, years old. You couldn't do nothing, then. And this is back when the police would just—if you get in trouble, they take you to the police station. Your parents pick you up, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, your parents would beat the hell out of you. Mm-hmm. 
So one night we uh we 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 got into a little bit of a little bit of a thing and I was waiting and usually my uncle would come out and I'd be sitting there and he'd say what these idiots do you know and he'd mm-hmm. say well it was we caught him drinking and we caught him fighting and he'd just sit there and he'd say Chuck and this was my favorite uncle mm-hmm. he'd say Chuck you, you Colonel he did, this is before Colonel days so yeah, yeah. That's yeah it's you, before the Colonel title, so he'd say title. Chuck you know sit there waiting in. yeah and so the Colonel he'd just sit there you know because I was I love my uncle Mike he was mm-hmm. he was a great man. And one particular time, we did something that was we thought was fairly uh, innocuous. Mm-hmm. What we would do, we wasn't old enough to buy liquor. Mm-hmm. So we'd walk into the store, and we'd put our money on the counter. We'd bring our beer up to the counter, and we'd put our money on the counter. And if the man asked us for ID, we'd just grab the beer and walk out. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no crime because we had not stolen anything. Right. But apparently that is some kind of strong-arm robbery if the people tell you to stop. I'm not really sure what the deal is with some legalities so, there. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, you know, on the bench in the police station waiting for my uncle to come and get me. And all of a sudden, my uncle come and snatch me by the collar, drag me into an interrogation room to me, <laughs> and bounced the colonel off every wall in that place and told me, this was a serious one. This is one you go to jail for. Now, now it's time to make the decision to straighten up, fly right, because I'm kicking your ass every time I see you from now on. <laughs> and uh, the colonel pretty much flown straight ever since then, but... Right, made an impression. I remember because I, you know, I grew up in a small town, of course, and you knew the cops. You know what I mean? You knew them, yeah. and they, they'd hang out and they talk mm-hmm. to. You. They'd be parked in their cruisers, sitting and yeah. or whatever, and they'd sit and you just talk. I mean, you knew all of them, and they knew. You know, they knew if you got in trouble, they mm-hmm. knew what you were doing. You couldn't hide it from them. No, they knew what was going on, um, and I guess that's what community policing is all about. But I don't know how, you know, I, in a city as large as Cincinnati. I don't, I but they know. had no hesitancy to slap you back then either. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. In, 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 in a way that's, you know, those days were, I, I don't know if you call them the good old days or not, because, you know, obviously some police abused that. Mm-hmm. But, but they were, they were extensions of parents. And they were. Mm-hmm. They very much were. Yeah, and, especially and you the knew, kids who never had any parents or had, never had the parental influence at home. And well, and I can remember... <clears throat> Chris Rock does a bit on his comedy skit that, you know, if the the police have to run for you and chase you, they're bringing an ass whooping with them. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, we always knew that as kids. We never ran from the police because we knew they beat the hell out of you when they caught you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one thing that has disappeared. And I don't know that it's a horrible thing, but, you know, you had more. And I guess, you know, it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. The Police had respect for you back then. People had respect for the police. And yeah. now it's a little bit different, you know, but I think we'd be better if we, things were the way they used to be, Timmy. Yeah, the thing was, you never knew what they knew. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. You, you, mm-hmm. you had to be careful because you never knew what they knew. And they wouldn't, you know, they would never let you on what they know. Yeah. So you, you had to be careful. But at the same time, you, you could talk. I mean, you could talk to them. I mean, you yeah. know, we would sit, you know, they would pull up and park, and we just bullshit with them all the time. And they, you know, they knew if we were doing something or, you know, mm-hmm. tell us to knock it off or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, you felt like you had someone, you, you, you know you wouldn't get someone that was just, you know, a stranger. And well, the worst thing is when they would take your beer. they catch <laughs> yeah. you drinking and take your beer. Or your booms farm. Or your Boone's Farm, whatever you had, yeah. yeah. You old enough to be smoked, give me those cigarettes, because you knew they smoked them, too. <laughs> yeah, they just so. All right, Colonel, any final thoughts on uh, Johnny Broadway? No, I, I like Johnny. I think he uh, 
He uh, gave badass. out Johnny Justice, Colonel Justice. You know, I'm all about justice, Timmy. You are. He was you pretty know. badass. He was pretty badass. It was. Uh, it, it's a shame the devil couldn't be here for this because she's prone. You know, she's prone to punching people too. Yeah, she is. She is. It's, a, her, it's an unfortunate thing. And her father's in law enforcement. Yeah, but she punches kids, puppies. Oh, okay. she, yeah, I mean, she, oh, yeah. remember that old lady? She came in here looking for directions. Yeah. Punched her right in the face. Yeah. It was it was horrible. Yeah, and then she has this whole people following her. You know, she's yeah, like, she's kind of like Donald Trump. She can do anything. She can do it, say anything, and, yeah. and people were so team, team brand. brand team team brand. It's yeah. crazy, Timmy. Yeah. All right, Colonel. Where can people find us? They can find us on the iTunes, Timmy. Okay. On the iTunes, that's where a whole catalog of yeah. things are. And they can leave a review. For and us. you can leave a review for us. Which Tell us what you like, really what you don't like. Yes. Um, I know. Tell us what you like. You can find us on Stitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can definitely find us on Facebook under History, History Dweebs. Yes. Leave us um, a comment. Go to Facebook. Leave us a comment. Uh, yeah. We especially love uh, <clears throat> reviews on iTunes because it allows other people to find us. And you can uh, interact with some of the Team Brandy members who uh, yeah. are very vocal on the page. They are very um, vocal. You're right. Uh, so, uh, and very, but they're out. very smart, very funny, and very entertaining. Yes, they so. are. Yes, they're a good group. They're a good so it's, group. it's it's you take the good with the bad. They're just misguided. They're misguided. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time on History Dreams. Good day. Bye bye. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.